0: Hear then the word of the Lord from Colossians, book book 1, chapter 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, where all thrones, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. May the Lord add wisdom to the hearing of his holy word.
1: I invite you to turn to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20, the passage Brian just read. You have a pew Bible, or it's also included in your bulletin. Uh, It's printed there as well. So this is our second week in the fall series in Colossians, which is focusing on what it means to live for, emphasis on the word for, Christ's kingdom. Last week we introduced the book of Colossians, So verses 1 to 14 and talk a little bit about what is Christ's kingdom. There are many kingdoms in the world and the word kingdom has been on our mind a little bit more in the last couple of weeks because of um, the death of Queen Elizabeth and the United Kingdom. And so last week we considered some of that. This week we are going to go a little bit deeper as we go step by step into understanding how do we live our lives Changed by the reality that there is a capital K kingdom that is ruling the world and will one day rule in fullness and in clarity and in unmistakable joy. So as we start this morning, I want to consider the different types of authorities that have been over us from birth to death in life. So I I did a little exercise this week of thinking about from the moment you're born to the minute that you die, how does authority change or insert itself into our lives? So the minute you're born, you're a little baby with an umbilical cord stuck to your mother, and a doctor has the authority to cut the umbilical cord So the first authority you have in your life is a nurse or a doctor or a doula or somebody that's in a hospital that has authority over you. And then very quickly after that, you're handed off to your parent, your mother, and then they become the chief authority. And then eventually you go to school and there becomes a teacher that has authority over you and then a principal that has authority there. And then maybe you start playing sports and there's a coach and then... Maybe you get a job and there's a a boss that you have. Um, Maybe you find yourself somewhere where there's a judge that needs to make a decision that has some kind of authority over your life. Or some people go into the military and there's a commander who's telling you what to do. Uh, Then you live in a city where there's a mayor and there's the state, there's a governor. And then there's a, a country you live in. It could be a president or a prime minister or an emperor or a dictator and if you are a worshipful person there's some kind of god or god's influences in your life and then as you get older you come under the care of an elder care facility director and then as you begin to to fade in life there's a hospice care that has authority over you and then when you die there's a funeral director and then ultimately there's a mortician so how's that probably missed some things, but there's a lot of different types of authorities that come over us in life. And so I thought of one other authority that I had read about recently. And this is a sneaky authority, but one that is starting to subtly rule many of our lives. And it's the authority of artificial intelligence. I had never really read much about this until the last year, but I read a book by a man named John Lennox called 2084, Artificial Intelligence, The Future of Humanity and the God Question. And in this book, he considers how artificial intelligence is becoming a supreme authority in our lives. So if you think about it, we are, we're run by a lot of robots in our world today. Some of you may have an Alexa in your house or a Siri on your phone or some kind of microchip in your credit card or some kind of machinery that makes your life easy. But he even takes it a step deeper into the reality that there's some in the world that are even pursuing the idea of a super intelligence, things that demand more control. So if you go to places like China, they have a pretty extensive surveillance system, which is pretty much has eyes on you all the time. And there's even a deeper level of Kind of darkness uh, in some science that is, that is pursuing a what they call a transhumanism, which is the attempt to try to create a perfect superhuman AI artificial intelligence that, in some sense, could replace humanity itself. They think kind of a scary thought. Maybe you've seen some movies of like a robotic world, and um, some of it's far fetched and crazy but some of it is actually stuff that people are trying to pursue uh, creating creating minds or brains that are even stronger than humans itself that in some sense could eliminate the need for humanity at all he poses in the book it's kind of a kind of a sad book frankly <laughs> it gets to the place where you're like this is a little scary but because he's a christian He then ends the book with the affirmation that humans are God's good design and that ultimately science like this will never overtake the goodness and beauty of God creating humans in his image with him as the supreme authority over humans living for his glory and for his good and then giving humans the authority to reign and to rule over creation over his good creation. But it does pose a good question for us, both inside the church and outside the church, of the question of authority. If there is a kingdom, which we are saying there is, that God has a kingdom, that through Christ there is a new kingdom that we have been delivered into, who is the king? There must be a king of the kingdom. Elvis Presley is called by some to be the king. But he had a quote saying one time when someone called him the king, he said, I'm not the king. Jesus Christ is the king. I'm just an entertainer. Thank you, Elvis. Good recognition. And you may have even seen the boldness I had today to put Kanye West on the front of the church bulletin. You may say, what are you doing? If you know who Kanye West is, he's a hip hop artist. But he had an album that came out in 2019 the name of the album was Jesus is King. And again, I don't know much about Kanye West's spiritual journey. I don't know the genuineness of his faith. But the album is a pretty explicit gospel album from a mainstream hip-hop artist. And one of his lyrics says this on the front of our bulletin. I bow down to the king upon the throne. My life is his. I'm no longer my own. Kanye West. As you, as you read through, and as we heard Brian read Colossians 1, 15 to 20, um, in the midweek email this week, I sent out you know, a, a, an invitation to reflect on this passage, and I said, I found at least 18 things that were mentioned about Jesus in those five, six verses. And then, when I, by the time I got to Friday, that number had gone up to 22. I found 22 things, because I split them up a little bit more. And... In some sense, today could be a 22-point sermon of just these are the ways that Jesus is our authority, but I'll spare you the 22-point sermon this morning and just get a little bit more precise. But what we're going to look at this morning is what makes Jesus Christ the king of the kingdom, according to Colossians, because what follows after today is if there is a kingdom that Christ is ruling and he is the king of it, how does our life change? How do we live for it? But today we're focusing on what makes Christ the king according to the scriptures. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, his worthiness. Number two, the fact that Jesus has a place where he reigns. And number three, that he actually has kingdom actions. He acts as a king in really clear ways. Worthiness, place, and action are the three things. So, first, Worthiness. What makes Christ the king? He is worthy to be king because of very clear things mentioned in verses 15 to 17. You see, a true king has to have real reasons why they can be king. And in Colossians 1, it says repeatedly, He is, He is. He is. Christ is. And what is he? For one, he's the image of the invisible God. He shows us God himself. I love that this text admits that God is invisible. Because you and I know that. We can't see God. It's a truthful statement. He is an invisible God. But when Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary and put on flesh, he is the image of God of the invisible God. He shows us the invisible God in visibility for the first time. It would be like if someone could show us the wind. You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, right, when it blows. But imagine if wind took on flesh. It's like, oh, that's wind as a person. That's A similar kind of ridiculous thought as to Jesus showing us God, the invisible God. We actually have met God in the same way that you could have theoretically met wind if it took on form. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He was not created like you and me. He was Jesus as God before he became incarnate as a man. Before he took on flesh, he was God. He was and is and will be. You and I derive from him because he is the Creator. He's the firstborn. So yes, technically speaking, as a human, he was born, you know, thousands of years, millions of years, after the creation of all things. But he was the firstborn. He's always been. Before anything else was, he is. All this is building to him being worthy. By him, all things were created. Meaning that he actually did the creation, creating of creation himself. Things on heaven and things on earth. Everywhere you look, he created it. He created the who as well. He created thrones and dominions and rulers and authority. So therefore, every authority you see on earth today was created by Jesus. By him, all things were created. Whether in heaven or on earth. Rulers or dominions thrones, and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Through him, by his word, everything came. Nothing can truly come apart from him. He spoke creation into existence. And they're for him. Everything he created has the purpose of being for him, for Christ's kingdom. He created things because it brings him pleasure and delight and joy and honor he is the chief end of all things. Everything that was created, including humans, is for his ultimate glory. He is, be- he is before all things, it says. In him all things hold together. Let me just let me just focus on this point for a second. In him all things hold together. All things? Let's just focus on what all things. Like, okay, so you and I can see many things that maybe hold together. But if you go all the way down to the universe itself, it's extraordinary that God, Jesus, the king, holds them all together. There's some scientists that talk about the fine-tuning of the universe and what it would take for the universe to just collapse as a whole. So just literally fall and cease to exist. So when you talk about gravity or the formation of carbon or the stability of DNA, it doesn't take much for the whole thing just to completely collapse and to fall completely down. Let me just read a a quick thing here. It says for gravity, for instance, it says, If gravity was a bit weaker, the expanding universe would have distributed the atoms so widely that they would never have been gathered into stars and galaxies. But instead, they have just the right force to hold it all together. Or when you think about carbon, which again, I'm not going to get deeply into a science lecture here. But just the carbon alone that holds the universe together. It says, in order for the fusion reaction to work in carbon, the energy levels must match up in just the right way. Or the three helium atoms would bounce off each other before they could even fuse. I don't understand even what that means. But what I do know is that something is holding them together in a precise way so that it doesn't all just completely fall apart and dissipate. And when you think about the atom inside of each of us that that makes DNA, all of this holds perfectly together. Alistair McGrath says, The entire biological evolutionary process depends on the unusual chemistry of carbon, which allows it to bond to itself as well as to other elements creating highly complex molecules that are stable over prevailing terrestrial temperatures and are capable of conveying genetic information, especially DNA. Again, I don't understand the first bit of what that means. But what I do know is that something's holding it together. In Colossians 1, in him, all things hold together, including the stuff I don't even have the first glimpse of how to understand because I wasn't the brightest science student (laughs) in high school. But it's an amazing thought. God holds the world together in Jesus. You think about how we learn this from the very beginning. As children, if you you grew up in a Christian home or in a church, you learn the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. And it's a profound thought. It's a sweet rhyme, but a profound, deeply theological thought. Jesus is worthy to be king because he's God himself who holds it all together, who was before any, anything else came into being. He is, he is the creator. He is the stuff of life itself. Number two, why else is Jesus worthy? It's because he has a place where he can reign as king. A true king actually has to have a kingdom to reign in. You know, I could claim to be king of something, but if I don't have a kingdom, I can't truly be a king. I can just be a, a guy who claims to be a king, but I'm not actually ruling anything. Is a king without a kingdom really a king is another way to put it. So where does Jesus reign as king? And in this passage, it leads us into kind of two spheres of it. And number one is the church. His primary place of reigning is The church. The people of God, not just the buildings of God, but the people of God that comprise the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom is the church universal from Salem to the ends of the earth. Around the world, gatherings like this are happening, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. That make up the global kingdom of God throughout the ages, throughout eternity, in time and in space, in particular places like this. And it says here, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So just a great reminder, I stand up and do these sermons week after week, but I am not the head, even of this little church. The pastor is not the head of the church, nor is the moderator, nor are the deacons, nor are even the congregation we're gonna have a church meeting after this service where we get to, to live into how we operate as a Baptist church, which means we, we allow the congregation to have full say and to vote on things, where it's not just like a small group of people making decisions, but we get the, the full engagement of the local church. It's a, it's a beautiful church structure, but all of that is under the umbrella of Christ being the head of the church. So in order for us to make decisions well, As a local church, we submit to the authority of God, which is why we pray for his wisdom, pray for his leading. The Pope is not the head of the church, Jesus is the head of the church. Think about the imagery here. You know, the church is not like a military exercise where Christ is the commander, the church is not a business where Christ is the CEO, the church is not a team where Christ is the coach. The church is not an airplane where Christ is the pilot. None of those images were ones that Paul chose to use, though airplanes weren't invented back then. I get that. The church is a body where Christ is the head. He is the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the nose, the brain. As, as one health organization says, the human head is the home to all the body's major sensory organs. And the most important of these is the brain. Although the nose and the ears, the tongues, the nerves, all other parts are important, without a healthy brain, they'd all be useless. Encased in the skull, the brain is the body's centralized conveyor of all information. Christ is the head of the church. So, it's great to look out and see a bunch of knees and toes and elbows and belly buttons. and I'll stop there. But we are the body. He is the head. Without the head, where all the major organs find their purpose, there is no direction. Christ's kingdom then flows most naturally and fully and purposefully through the church itself. And we are the members of Christ's body. Christ leads all of us in unison together, and this is his kingdom. But like any healthy body, Any healthy body moves and walks and runs and exercises into the world it goes. The church is ever advancing, ever growing, ever diversifying, ever growing. Not in a conquest or colonial or takeover type of way, but in a way of love, truly relating to the outside world in both truth and sincerity, which as we go into Colossians 2, 3, and 4, we get to learn a whole lot about how we relate to one another as members of that kingdom and how the world should see the kingdom of God as a totally different, distinct, beautiful community of people. The second sphere that Christ reigns over, so the church is the primary one, but the second biggest sphere that he reigns in is universal. So yes, he he operates through the local church as king, as the head of the body, but he is king of all the universe. Every corner of of creation. He is the beginning. Before everything else, there was a king and a kingdom. Every other kingdom is but a shadow of the true king and kingdom. He is the firstborn from the dead, it says. Remember, I said he was the firstborn of all creation. He's also the firstborn of the dead. Meaning that he is the trailblazer of 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 the true new frontier. So we talk about outer space being the new frontier. And there's a lot of corners of space that we have not gotten to and we probably will never get to. And it's a new frontier. But the newest frontier that Christ has broken into is the pioneer of is death itself. Jesus was the the trailblazer into death and the conquering of death, meaning he is the firstborn from the dead. And through Christ, you and I now have that same possibility and potential because the king has trailblazed into it. And we can now walk through the valley of the shadow of death behind him. He's cut down all the weeds, all the high grass. He's walked straight through death and come out on the other side. No one thought he could do it. And now the church gets to walk behind that clear path and say, yes, We live in a broken world where death will ultimately take each of us. We have nothing to fear because we can walk straight through it into eternity. Because we have been resurrected through the blood of Christ. The ultimate purpose of all that is so that, as it says, he might be preeminent, is what the ESV says, or the NIV says, so that he might be supreme. That might be a better word for us supreme. He is, he is the supreme king of all. So the last point we'll make, we've talked about a couple of things already, but the last one I mentioned is action. You know, any good true king actually operates as a king, actually does king things. He doesn't just sit on the throne and say, I'm king. This is great. Good luck with your kingdom. Jesus, the king, like any good king, Does king things. He operates as a true royal. The Disney movie, The Lion King, has a a great song that probably all of you know. It's by young Simba when he's still a, a baby lion or a kid lion. And he has this song that he sings prophetically called i just can't wait to be king and in that song he he just goes on and on about when i'm king this is what i'm gonna do because i'm he feels constricted by how the kingdom is currently running and what what young person doesn't operate like that right oh if i was king of the world this is what i would do but there's a there's a great line there's a little bird in the song zazu is his name, and um, as, as Simba is singing this song, oh, I Just Can't Wait to Be King, uh, Zazu, the little bird, is very concerned and interjects. He says, if this is where the monarchy is headed, count me out, out of service, out of Africa. I wouldn't hang about. This child is getting wildly out of wing. He's saying, if that's the way a king is gonna operate as king, I don't want any part of that monarchy. Have you ever worked in a place Where it's gotten to a place where you've had to say, if this is what that company is all about, I can't work for this company. Or if that is what my boss is actually all about, I can't work for that boss. Have you ever said about Jesus or God, if this is what Jesus's kingdom is all about, I don't want any part of that. Because if you listen to the world today... A lot of people are saying, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want any part of that. So what does Jesus actually do as king? Because if we actually see what Jesus does as king, more people would say, if that's what the monarchy of Jesus is about, I want to be part of that. Verse 19 and 20, just give us a couple of glimpses. It says in verse 19, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Focus on the word pleased. Think about the reality that God was pleased to have all of himself live in the human person of Jesus Christ. God put all of his self in him, fully taking on a body in the person of Jesus, the carpenter's son. And Jesus was not some wildly rebellious younger son who was going to run things his own way, saying, this is how God the Father has always run it, but I'm going to do things my own way. No. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the will of the Father because he knew it was the true and right way to be king. He was in full mission alignment with God the Father. The divine work of God was done through the work of a human who was fully like us in every way except without sin. And that's the person of Jesus. And the good work that he does is, number one, in verse 20, it says, through Jesus reconciled to himself all things. Jesus' work was reconciling all things back to God, which means bringing back wayward things, paying back all people and all things to God again. Every wayward child, every broken system, every dying species, every broken relationship, every wilted plant that's in your house. The work of Jesus was reconciling all things back to him. That's the action of a true king. Everything that was previously irreconcilable or had gone too far now has the opportunity to be brought back to right relationship with their creator. Through Jesus, the true king, all earthly things, all heavenly things are reconciled back to God. In the way that they were supposed to be. In the way that everything's gone wrong, Jesus came so that they all could be brought back in trueness. Everything. Things on earth, things in heaven. Honestly, that second part, things in heaven, I don't even fully understand what that means. How can things in heaven be reconciled back to God? That's a a thought too lofty for my mind. But Jesus, that's what it says. Reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven. An amazing thought. And number two, making peace. Jesus, his two actions listed here are reconcile all things back to God. Making Peace. making all things harmonious again, ending wartime, no more brokenness or hostility, no more battle, but peacetime now being brought back. The shalom of God, the beauty of restored rightness and depth of joy that only comes in times of peace. How? By the blood of his cross. His cross. Did you catch those three letters there? The blood of his cross, not the blood of your cross, his cross, the cross of Jesus. It's not your death that you need to die on your cross that will bring peace. It's the peace of Christ that comes through Jesus's once and for all sacrifice. You follow him into that death, but it's his cross that has brought ultimate peace. If you want your life to change, come under allegiance to the true King and walk into his kingdom and then see how Colossians two and three show us how to live in relationship to one another. Let me just close with a story. It's a story of Nelson Mandela, who at one point was president, I think was his title of South Africa after the apartheid in South Africa where blacks and whites were just having a terrible time with one another. And he tells the story. He said, after becoming president, I asked one of my bodyguard members to go for a walk in town. After the walk, we went for lunch at a restaurant and we sat in a restaurant right in the middle of town and uh, we ordered what we wanted. After a bit of waiting, the waiter who brought our menus appeared. And at that moment, I realized that at the table that was to the right in front of ours, there was a man waiting to be served. When he was served, I told one of my soldiers, go ask that man to join us. So they went and brought the man to the the president's table to sit with him. The man stood up, took his plate, sat down next to me. And while eating, his hands were shaking and he couldn't even lift his head from his food, didn't look at them. And as he finished, he waved at me without even looking at me. I shook his hand and walked away. And the soldier said to me, that man must be very sick because his hands wouldn't stop shaking while he was eating. And Nelson Mandela replied, he said, not at all. The reason for his tremor in his hands is something else. That man was the guardian of the jail that I was locked up in. Often after the torture I was subjected to, I screamed and cried for water and he came to humiliate me. He laughed at me, and instead of giving me water, he would urinate on my head. He wasn't sick, he was scared. And he shook because he was fearing that maybe now I, as president of South Africa, would send him to jail and do the same thing he did with me, torturing and humiliating him. But Mandela said this But that's not me. That behavior is not part of my character or ethics. Minds that seek revenge destroy states, while those that seek reconciliation build nations. That's that's the kind of king that Jesus the Christ is. Jesus, the king of the kingdom. One who came to reconcile all things back to God, not to heap judgment or revenge on broken humanity. The king of the kingdom is one where you're saying, if that is what the monarchy is like, I want to be part of that. Because aren't we all seeking reconciliation and peace? And that's exactly what Jesus promises. That's exactly what he brings. John Lennox, the scientist that I mentioned earlier, he writes to, to finish here in his book, he says, man thinks that he can become God through artificial intelligence or through whatever... But infinitely, infinitely greater than that is the fact that God thought of becoming human. That's Jesus, the king. Let's pray. Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to you as king. We, we need a kingdom that we can believe in, a kingdom that will have no end kingdom that we want to live for and for that to be the case we need a king that we can trust in one that we see that is for our good that is, is doing good work for the world help us to see it help us to know it and then help us to live for it in jesus name we pray amen